0: welcome back everybody to the investors roundtable i'm your host robert Kraft. you can follow me on twitter at bobby k Kraft, B O B B Y K K R A F T. and we're back this is the first episode that we've done in i think almost you know six weeks something like that and uh I, the dust has finally settled on uh the virtual event so uh we, i've been able to co- finally come up for air and catch up with a couple friends here so uh, i'm really excited to welcome uh, the mainstays of the show i, I think it's i think. We could be accurate in saying that they're mainstays at this point. We got Stephen Keel from Arquito's Capital and Gary Reevy, co-host of In the Market Trenches podcast. What up, guys? How you doing? i good, Bobby. Good to see you again. Laser odds yeah right yeah i forgot i I actually forgot that that was going to be my doppelganger for this episode but i even though listen i i said in the email about you know inviting everybody for this this week's event i said anything but btc and musk or you know but i have a feeling the musk from the last six weeks uh it's emerging it's just
1: you see musk and crypto are becoming one
0: becoming one I, i mean it it's just Listen, I know we said we weren't probably going to talk about that, but I'm sure inevitably we probably will. But let's start off with what you guys have been up to. What's been going on? I feel like it's been a a, a crazy yet not crazy six weeks, like a busy yet not busy time. Like what 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 have you guys been up to? Gary? Yeah, well, it's, it's exciting
1: because, because, you know, look, we're getting in the annual meeting, shareholder meeting season and things like that. And so for our, you know, small public company that I'm the chair of, we've got that coming up next week. Uh, now we're into a second year of virtual meetings here, which is interesting, especially for some of the smaller companies that I think all of us follow it's, uh, it's both a a blessing and a curse with these virtual meetings, uh, sometimes in past years, showing up in person, you, you gain some kind of insight uh, about the company itself, but you also have a way to network and catch up with some of those fellow investors. In those small meetings and that's what we're not getting the last couple of years here with the virtual meetings. so i'm hoping this will be the last season of that and next year, we can get back to. Normal times, and uh, I I think we will you know things are people are getting vaccine uh, vaccinated and things are opening up a little bit so uh, hopefully next year we we can do that, we can all be at Berkshire in person, hopefully uh, you know Warren and Charlie will will be there, and uh, you know so one more year, I guess
2: yeah i keep worrying that this year will be the last for that that that's an increasing worry with every every year actually speaking it's it's inevitable so um i'm gonna make a special effort to go out the next for next year you know assuming that they have it just because yeah. it's like you know it, it could be the last one and so um it might be behind
1: the glass like thing or something like that you know <laughs>
0: Well, the world is definitely opening up and I can speak from experience having gone to Vegas, like 10 days after the virtual. Yeah. I've never seen it that crazy ever like we went it was for for a buddy's bachelor party and like we decided to go downtown because you know we want to go to the cheaper tables because we're microcap investors of course
2: but <laughs> but uh like old vegas guy with the, boot, the neon sign with the boot and the hat and the whole thing of course are you kidding i love it down there
0: man that's my favorite they, well circus circus is technically my favorite that's not like downtown downtown but like I, I i do like going downtown but it was it was more busy than i'd ever seen it ever. I mean, if you weren't like, I'm vaccinated. So I was like, all right, I'm feeling okay. But like, if I wasn't vaccinated, walking around, I would have been having a panic attack the entire time, because it's just like, you know, it's back to the, all right, where, where are we going to next? Uh, what, what hotel are we going to next? Yeah, You know, right. where are we going to, We know where's the cheap tables? Of course, there's no cheap tables anymore. Cause everyone's, uh, you know, back at it. It's but. crazy, though, that the
1: anxiety that you feel a little bit being around, you know, people so close, you didn't really feel a couple of years ago. And, you know, I'm in New York here and people downtown, it's definitely picking up again, and maybe even busier than it was before. And, you know, half people are wearing masks now and half half not. And this is a recent thing. And, uh, yeah, you know, you, people standing a little too close to you and feeling you feel a little more uncomfortable than you used to feel. You know, with that so I don't you know my big question though is when we get back to normal travel normal meetings in-person meetings do we ever have to wear a tie again
0: I hope not
2: <laughs> cycle man I don't know I, I I kind of like I looked at the suit in the closet and I was like you know what it'd be nice just to kind of clean up and look good wear a suit and you know like
1: We an a... open collar why why the
2: tie
0: I forgot Oh, no, you know it's a nice
2: tie, a nice bow tie you know depending on you know, like you know you could say, say something about yourself the, the tie is the only thing about the suit where you can really say something about your identity right like the rest of it's pretty more or less uh uniform right so I mean,
0: Gary Gary do you remember how to do a Windsor I forgot at this point
2: <laughs> I never really knew how to do one all that well I can however tie a bow tie myself so uh, I've got true. that going That's for a me so, so, you mentioned meetings. I I, w- I went to a meeting um, I, when you guys recorded the 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 for the for the conference. I was at a meeting, and there were twenty something people at the meeting, and it sort of, it sort of dawned on me that like nobody really knows how to interact anymore because everybody is comfortable with something completely different. And so, like, some people were waving, some people were fist bumping, some people bump elbows, some people just kind of nod. It's just like I, for a guy that's always been kind of socially awkward, it was like. know I I felt like I figured out what to do and now I'm completely lost but it's maybe a little bit better because everyone else is also (laughs) (laughs) what do you guys I've been been sort of mulling this over and I I think that there are some things that are like permanent in nature about what's happened the last 15 months and some things are less permanent in nature and I've been trying to sort of ruminate on what's changed for good and what's just changed for right now and I don't know if you guys had any I think we're going, going to get going back
1: to normal meetings, you know, fundraising and things like that. I don't know about uh, so much of the conferences. I mean, I think people want to get back to the conferences and there's the networking there, the social aspect, and that's what human nature is all about. That might take a little bit longer. And some of these virtual meetings might, you know, might continue indefinitely. But in terms of fundraising meetings and, and uh, sales meetings and things like that, everyone I've talked to is itching to get back. And I know yeah. I am too. You know, I used to travel to London and Switzerland for meetings, and it's been a couple of years. I miss it. I really do. It's been a year and a half, uh, so I want to get back to that. I think everybody, I think other people want to get back to that as well. Uh, and you know, now though, it allows for some follow up in between with video, uh, Zooms, and things like that, which I think is helpful. So we can have a meeting in person, and then if there's any questions or follow up, you know, we can hop on a video call a week or two later and resolve that. Uh, so I, I think that's that's both you know to your question it's both getting back to the normal but then enhancing it Mm -hmm. and i hope that's the case in all areas i mean even like here with restaurants in the big cities that have taken over kind of outdoor seating that they may not have had as much before now you have indoor seating and outdoor seating so and the the great restaurants survived and thrived Mm -hmm. you know i think we can go across that all all these different industries uh companies that have uh have taken on the challenge and enhanced the offering, things are going to be better in the future than they were in the past, because they've had what they had in the past plus, plus more. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I think that's the way we kind of have to have to look at things. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I, I I had a similar take, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you yet, but I, just to answer your question, I had a similar take, especially on uh, speaking specifically to restaurants and conferences, I'll start off with the restaurants part. Is I completely agree with everything you said. Like just this past weekend, we went out to dinner in, um, on Main Street in Santa Monica, and things in LA are starting to open up quite a bit. June fifteenth, I think, is the great unmasking. I I, I dubbed it that, the great <laughs> unmasking. But like, but but um, but on Main Street, you see, and and this is in other little streets throughout LA too, is that you know you have all the outdoor seating, and I and I distinctly remember my wife even saying she was like they need to keep this. Like, this is actually not just like for their businesses, but this is really cool. Like it's just, it feels like more alive than it ever has, you know? So I think in the restaurant industry, like there is that great silver lining here where I don't know, hopefully the city is, doesn't become assholes and like takes permits away from being able to continue to do that. But I think just on the restaurant side, that's really cool. On the conference side, i've as a conference organizer i have an interesting take on this i think but my my take is like there's gonna everyone's gonna be excited to go to like the first few and then remember like damn that was expensive and (laughs) want to and then and then realize like all right well it was way cheaper with doing the virtuals and i got a lot more out of it so that that's I mean, we've never, we've never said we were going to ever do more than one in-person event anyway, even pre-pandemic. And so like we are doing Vegas next year in, in, in early May, in 2022, we, we announced that, but uh, so like, but so I, even, even with things opening up, like there's never been a plan of doing another in-person because Well, one of the things that's interesting
1: now, about the conference, which I, I think is a negative for the virtual ones is know so i've participated in a a number of virtual ones here this past year and what i find myself doing is i'll have one-on-ones or i'll i'll watch the presentations to the companies that are already on my watch list or companies i already own that i've pre-selected when i would show up in person i would just you know you're there throughout the day i just stick my head into random meetings right and sometimes those meetings would turn out to be interesting uh, and I would not have otherwise chosen to go into them other than I had an hour to kill. And I think that's as an, as an investor, you're losing that, you know, you're losing that serendipity yeah. or just chatting with people, other attendees about things that they own and that interaction. So I think the in-person meetings actually provide more value to, to an investor,
0: right.
1: um, but to your point, I might not go to as many of them because of whether it's the cost or whether it's like, hey, do I, you know, do I have to do this for a couple of days if I can just, you know, hop on a virtual one? And it's probably to my detriment, and I know that in advance, but you know, you are are missing out on on some of that in person value.
2: Yeah. I, and I, agree I, with I, that I, I, was, I kind point. of suck at actually attending virtual events because I'll put it on my calendar and then I get lost in everything else that's going on that day because I didn't actually dedicate block of time being you know going there and the travel and the this and that it's sort of like okay well i I guess this is on the calendar but you know so and so just reported their earnings today so let me go through their 10q instead you know so it doesn't really happen but like the in-person stuff it's like i don't know like i'm on the i feel like i'm on the low end of the of the amount of social interaction that i need but i but i'm I'm surprised at how much i miss it you know like I, i i would describe myself as a quasi angry loner but you know, I still need a certain, I hate people, but I love gatherings. It's weird. You know, it's, uh, and so it's, it's, it's not all the stuff that you know that you need to be looking for or looking at. It's all the stuff that you don't know that you, that you then find. And it's sort of, you know, I was talking to my business, my business partners about this and, you know, it's, it's not the stuff that we know we need to, need to accomplish that, that gets affected by not being able to get together in person. It's having lunch and discussing something and having an idea because you're, you're, you're able to, and, and like you can yeah. schedule time for stuff but like I don't know I, like it's if, like if somebody calls me right now they're going to interrupt what I'm doing it's different than being there in, in person and it's sort of like it's all the stuff that that, that doesn't happen and I do feel like it's sort of in, influenced my investing a little bit because I am like I do like to t- like sort of talk things through and ruminate on ideas and like hey what do you think about this what do you think about that and you know like my like my partner Eric's really good at this it's like I can, t- I can like, you can sort of t- like, if I can sell him on the idea, I, it's probably a good idea. And if I can't sell him on the idea, it's probably not a good idea. And that's just much harder to do over the phone. It's like, hey, what do you think about this? It's like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm gonna be 40 soon. Is my, is, the, is my midlife crisis gonna involve a Harley? You know, and, and aren't there a lot of people like me? And, you know, a lot of stocks are expensive, but like, is that interesting? I don't know. I mean, you know, it's like, it's these types of things that don't happen and um but you know it's it's just been such a strange time you know um, going to, get to that to that specific point if
1: we want to you know we would have this conversation in person i'm 42 never thought about riding a bike before and i actually the last couple months i've been thinking about it you know it's like it'd be nice to kind of go off and drive a harley ride a harley and you know just get some alone time on the road with me <laughs> And I never thought about that before. So I think there is something about the midlife area there, but hopefully I'm not midlife. I mean, I think I might be able to make it to a hundred. So I'm, I'm at the 40% mark, 42%. We're going to round.
2: Sometime over the next 10, 15 years, you're going to be recycling children's blood through your veins and you'll just be like, you know,
0: you
2: know, it'll be right next to the Bill Gates microchip.
0: Well, Gary, you you bring up a good point. You know I mean? Like it's definitely, you, we definitely take for granted the, you know the phone conversation or even the zoom conversation versus being in person and the idea of having somebody's at least the appearance of their undivided attention right yeah. you know over the phone and even with zoom sometimes like you guys will see my eyes you know i might pull up an email or something like you know like wait y- what? Y- y- what not with you oh, sorry not with you not with you guys you know of course but but you know but over over the phone, you know, it's you you don't know 100 percent that you have their undivided attention. You know, it's it's but you nice just don't you have that impression. Yeah, I mean
1: that's that's it. Even on Zoom, you know, and I, you you know, and, and these are more for like one on ones and things like that. That you know, look, you're checking how's you know what the stock's doing today, or you know, you're checking something comes into the room, the dog barks, etc. I mean, it's it's distracting. Where when you're in person, you know, video is good because we can still see each other. Uh, you can still kind of get a little bit. Of uh, the mannerisms, but in person, there's so much nonverbal communication there that you can see on both sides. And whether it's fundraising or whether it's you're you're you know talking to the management of a company, uh you can you can tell much better if their words match up to the reality <laughs> based on their nonverbal communication. And yeah, body yeah, language it's is key. Valuable.
2: What's that? Yeah, so the body language is key, right?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. it's more important than the words themselves, and and to be able to even visit companies again um, and and walk through, see what their offices look like, see what cars the senior management drives, see see what the other employees, what their uh, attitudes are like. Uh, that's valuable information as an investor when you're doing
2: research and due diligence. Stephen, you do a lot of site visits, or or is that something that's common as part of your practice? Like I've. I tend not to invest. I mean, maybe I'm, I find I, I find them like I'm not doing the, uh, sort of industrial type stuff where people are making stuff. So, is, is it as valuable, or do you do, you do them? It or? Depends.
1: You know, I, I think it totally depends. And you know, I don't. Some people, you know, some investors, P.M.s, analysts take pride in the number of visits they had. I mean, pre-pandemic, number of visits they have every year. Um, and other ones would take pride in never having a meeting because you know you don't want to get sold or distracted or something, you, you know, the senior management generally are really good salespeople. Uh, I, you know, look, I'm not a purist either way. It depends on the company and it depends on the level uh, of due diligence that you think is required. And some of that due diligence is required simply to form the, 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 the discipline and commitment to the position. Uh, And this is actually, I'm going to deviate just for one second about crypto. I don't want to get into a deep conversation about this, but the problem that I have with crypto, forget about the the foundational issues about it, is how do you get a a commitment and discipline level, right? So if you're a diehard person, you're just going to own it forever and you're going to always buy the dips and things like that, fine. You know, you have, you're, you're an irrational, you have an irrational amount of commitment to it. Fine, that's like a personality disorder. That's not like a, a research thing, right? <laughs> and it's the same people who like have owned Berkshire for fifty years. God bless you, you know. Like you, <laughs> you know, you just decided to own it forever, and you, you're fine. But for the rest of us, how do you get that commitment and discipline? When we're talking about companies and fundamental analysis, that commitment and discipline comes from the research process. You know, you've made some sort of determination. you you've decided that. Uh, you know, I like this company at this price and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, And, and you, you know, it takes time to build that commitment. So if the stock happens to drop by 50%, but the operations still seem to be fine, then you can continue to own it, or maybe you buy more. And how do you do that with gold? How do you do that with crypto? How do you do that with, you know, trading currencies? It's mostly charts and mostly, you know, you're reacting to the prices itself and some sort of like 30 year you know 30 year thesis that may or may not be right but you know for us as people who like to invest in companies that you can value um and have fundamental bottom up analysis our commitment level to owning it in difficult times or buying more in difficult times comes from that research process and that's completely different than you, you know than a than a crypto investor who who uh is, has nothing else to rely on other than than price and some you know, kind of irrational, uh irrational foundational view on, <laughs> on things that may or may not come true.
2: Yeah. I mean, I would say that I, I largely sorry. agree with that. I think what I'm, what I'm always cognizant of is like, there's, there's enough due diligence to get, like, how much do you got to know to do something? You know, what's your confidence interval on a decision? And I know people who need a confidence interval of 95% or higher, you know, I'm just, I'm that that's not me. I'm 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 a little bit lower. There are there have been instances where I've had very high confidence but um, you know it's sort of like with, with things like the you know Bitcoin and everything else like that where it's sort of like you know it's valuable because other people say it's valuable. Okay, what's my confidence interval that people are going to continue to say that it's valuable? I don't yeah, it's it's hard, you know. It's, yeah, and I'm not saying don't invest in
1: it, right? Like that's that's up to you, but realize what it is. You know, understand what it is. And, uh, and be prepared for there to be large drops and perhaps one day for it to be zero you know people forget the beanie babies that we <laughs> that my parent my mom invested in and your sisters did and things like that you know in the nine and there's examples like that every 10 years right every 10 15 years but um you know i think the, back to the question about how much research and how you do the research whether it needs to be in person and and it's kind of scuttle but you do you know you you have to be a little bit worried about over-research also, because yeah. your commitment level needs to be appropriate, not, not too much. Uh, because if you feel like you've put in all of this time, maybe hundreds, sometimes thousands of hours on a company through the years, um, that blinds you also. You know, This yeah. is where the psychological element comes in that's so fascinating about investing is, you can screw yourself up by doing too much research as well, because then you're, you've, you have this bias, um, and, you know, all this time you've already put in that, you know, you think that time is valuable in some way. And then, you, you, you know, you, you miss um, red flags that you otherwise would not have missed. So uh, it's, it's this definitely intersection between information gathering and judgment from that versus uh, these biases that always come into effect.
2: Yeah, it's weird. It's evolved for me over time. So it used to be that I used to have to do a lot of work to get comfortable with something to do it. And now it's sort of, for me personally, it's I, I feel like I know within the first half hour of looking at something, oftentimes, whether or not it's it makes sense to me, it's something that I think will, will will be all right. And if I'm devoting a lot more time to it, it's like I'm trying to convince myself that it's a good idea, rather than it actually being a good idea. And so it's like, my stance on this has sort of evolved over time from being a you know, higher confidence intervals, we'll spend a lot of our time on something to, you know, I'll know within the first hour or two whether or not it's, I'm gonna do something. And then it's just trying to think about things like sizing it and, you know, what am I, you know, what, what am I gonna be, you know, what don't, and figuring out what I don't know and just sort of, you know, what, what don't I know that I need to know about this. And, you know, there's a lot of times there's only a handful of things that really matter. And as long as you got a good beat on those two or three things that really matter, if it's more than two or three things that matter it's probably too hard um yeah. but you know it's interesting that you know it, i it, i it, it's it's a little, it's kind of like in the beginning you have this false sense of confidence and then as you sort of go on and you learn more your confidence sort of diminishes and then you sort of have to build it back so i remember like five or six years ago it's, it's I, I sort of it sort of dawned on me that like you have this imposter syndrome where you're like I don't really know what I'm doing, do I? But then, like, you look at what's going on, you're like, no, I actually think I kind of do know what I'm doing. And you have to sort of learn to trust yourself again. It's it's it, the investment journey is funny that way because you know you start off, and maybe the worst thing you could do is have a good win with the first thing you do. Um, it's probably better to have a have, a, have, a, have some loss lessons first, and you sort of knock your confidence. It's an, it's an exercise just knocking your confidence, and then you know as you build your skill set, you sort of have to. Your your, your skill set will out growth will outpace your confidence pretty quickly, and it's just I think I think it, there's actually a term in psychology for it. Is it uh, the is it Dunning Kruger effect? Is that what it is? I don't know if they, they've empirically been able to replicate what it is, but um, but that's what it, I think what it's known as. And like, it's you know I, I don't know I've I've learned to operate basically like at a, like a you know 70 confidence interval and just recognize that like when you make a decision it's a two way door it's uh, you know more so than anything I, I
1: guess thought yeah I mean you really need to be a great investor you have to have extreme confidence and also extreme humility and to be yeah. able to know when to apply those things because ultimately when you're buying a stock at a particular price you're saying all of these thousands of people tens of thousands sometimes millions of people their judgment is wrong yeah. <laughs> on the stock on the price right now my judgment is right and so you have to have that extreme level of you have to have an ego right to to uh to to make that decision but at the same time you have to have that extreme humility to say most of the time you know all these people are actually right and so i have to differentiate between when they're when they're right and when they're not
2: yeah my sort of my null hypothesis might do anything is that the market's got it right and i sort of you know have to disprove that one way or another and then i have to answer the question well, if the market has it wrong what's gonna make it go up and you know, that could be all kinds of different things um, you know but to get back to the issue like like to get back to sort of like visiting these companies like sometimes I get involved in things and I just kind of want to go I just kind of want to go see it I want to meet these people for some reason mm-hmm. like right now I'm involved in this junior mining junior, junior gold mining company it was it was sort of a spin- out of a bigger entity and the way it happened the way the whole thing went down was super weird I'd never I do a lot of like special situation investing i've never seen a fact pattern like this where um you know you've got first of all it's a spin out spin off coming from a gold miner and they're spinning out something even smaller they're going on they're going to otc not not, not the nice even like just justify doing it and like you know they, they invested all this money in getting this mine up and running just to spin it out and then all the entire management team lined up on one side of the boat after moving it to otc after, and then like. I'm just like looking at this, and like this took me all of ten minutes to know that I wanted to be involved in it. Yeah. And then you know, as I'm involved in it, I'm listening to the call. I'm like, these. I can't tell, and I'm not. I'm not naming the company for, because I'm gonna. Because as I listen to their calls, I get on their calls and asking questions. I like, I can't tell if like they seem kind of dumb to me, like, <laughs> and like, and like they're gold mining guys, and like they just seem kind of like 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 it, the, the conference call that they host is just bananas. And like, I, there's no other way to really describe it. And I kind of want to just go and see these people, like, like I'm, like, 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 there's a traveling space suit and I can go visit, this, you know, visit the animals, like, 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 that's, that's like, what I've got going on my mind is like. And I kind of just want to see the operation, but like, it's like I'm, I'm, it's, it's, it's in the middle of Nevada, and it's kind of like you know, uh, it's like five tie. hours from Vegas. So, I, I, what's that? Get your bolo tie. <laughs> yeah, get my get my bolo tie going. But it's but it's but it's funny like that. It's just like all it took was about an hour for me to figure out that i wanted to be involved in this thing but now it's sort of like oh do i want to take a trip to nevada to go see these guys in their natural habitat and you know see what's going on there i can't like i never imagined being involved in like a junior gold miner but i'm involved in a junior gold miner and i kind of like and i I think it might be the only time i'm ever going to be involved in a junior gold miner unless there's another crazy situation like this that somebody concocts and it's like i kind of want to go see it but like i kind of yeah I don't know it's just yeah a conference call doesn't do
1: it justice for sure and even a zoom call that that won't do it justice I mean it yeah it's and that's why the travel is going to come back that's why business travel is going to come back yeah well oh
0: sorry Gary you're
2: going to say so I don't know I don't know about you Stevens, but it was sort of for for my for my day job we sort of invest more in larger liquid stuff and you know that's never been harder I think like like I look at the opportunity set and it's hard like things are just but as I go down the cap spectrum all the way to small and micro land, like I've got I've got more ideas than money these days. I don't know about you. Are you finding the same thing?
1: Yeah. I've been in more of this kind of shorter term of interim and stuff for, for new positions. You know, I've been some MA stuff uh stuff. And in some kind of company specific things that are uh, a little bit different than in the past. Let me bring up. Now. Yeah. I was always interested in this. So it's like, what percentage of the portfolio and I'm uh I don't. I haven't made my mind up. I guess about the market as a whole. There's so many uncertainties there, and and so I'm kind of looking for more more of this company specific things right now. Two things kind of caught my eye though, and I maybe this is a way to throw on a few ticker symbols to this uh, to this discussion. Um, you know, first of all, the discovery um, merger here with Warner Media. That's going to be interesting. Um, Very interesting. So we. I'd like to table that for a second here um, and have it. I don't. I don't have anything beyond uh, with what I'm about to say with with Nicola, right? So I saw something yesterday with Nicola that caught my eye. Um and uh I don't you know it's still kind of beginning stages to decide what to do with this, but when we talk about kind of crazy, <laughs> so so the the Nicola uh recent proxy, uh their new management has decided to take on a dollar, all the senior management a dollar in salary and then they get uh stock issuances uh beginning at $25 uh per share stocks are like 12 right now uh right and, and so if it gets back to I, I think the story was if it gets back to i don't know 60 bucks or something like that then the ceo gets 2.2 billion dollars right um but they get nothing until it gets to 25. Now they have some stock, otherwise that they'd, you know, had pre, pre this, but you have three years where each of them are making a dollar per share and at $25 per share, they start to make money in stock and stocks at 12, okay? So, you know, stock went down from a high of 90 something to, to 12 right now. Um, interesting, right? Uh, I mean, no way yeah. to value this company but it's not just the CEO. It's the CEO, the chairman, you know, senior management and things like that. Those are the kind of incentives, crazy incentives. Yes, crazy. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, something to ride along with potentially. Uh, so, I, you know, that's on that's on the list to look into a little bit. And I might might have a tiny position. I don't have a position right now in that. But then the second thing is, you know, this discovery merger, uh, having Zaslov in charge of both companies, with the capital allocation skills of both him and Malone, uh, and you know, unwinding, <clears throat> unwinding the AT and T previous acquisition from a few years ago, uh, putting it into the hands of people who know what they're doing uh, here have shown it. Uh, it's it's going to be in a worldwide reach. Um, it's something that's
2: going to be interesting for sure. Going to have some leverage on it too, right? always good leverage on it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I don't have a position, in any of the names that you discussed just there, but, uh, I thought, I, I thought lie. that, I thought the deal was, uh, it was interesting. I always, I, I have been of the long opinion that, um, you know, I, I always thought that at and needed to cut the dividend and that's what they effectively wound up doing with this deal. Didn't they? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, but the interesting, so I used to own discovery and, uh, unfortunately I sold it out before the, uh, the spike <laughs> earlier this year uh, i and even had some options and things like that so a lot of uh it was weird it wasn't that just one of the
2: sh- one or one of the share classes yeah. that
1: they did yeah so it was, was because see. of the uh because of that or uh, what's it called archigos uh, however you pronounce
2: it well you think it was archigo because so yeah 100%. that looks like uh, i'm sure it was but like my but like When I looked at what was going on with that now I know that there are a lot of people who do share class ARP, right voting non voting. Yeah, Yeah. it was was a spike
1: from the one because of a, it was kind of what happened with Volkswagen a few years ago, five years ago six years ago now, um, where you basically had a short squeeze on one on one share class. Um, And so the interesting thing with this deal is all share classes are going to be treated the same. and so there's still an arb you can do right now with that with the share class unfortunately there's not a lot of liquidity you know in some of the super voting so you you can't do it to scale but opportunity for a retail investor i suppose
2: Hmm. that's interesting
0: nice i mean so i'm so you guys brought up a lot of different things and different rabbit holes we can go down right now but it, it sounds like just I wanted to go down to what Gary was saying, because I mean, look, we, we, our audience is more skewed microcap, Mm -hmm. you know, so I I thought this idea of, you know, too many ideas and not enough cash to deploy. I mean, what, what would you guys say are some of the reasons for why, or, or, well, I'll start with Gary here, but you know, Gary, why, why would you say that there are so many more ideas out there right now uh, versus maybe not that long ago?
2: Uh, well, I think there were ideas all of the last year. It's just, I think that the opportunity set has evolved. I mean, the, the, the easy, in my opinion, um, it was much easier to invest a year ago than it is today, um, even though there was more, there was a lot more uncertainty. So, um, cause a year ago or a little over a year ago, all you needed was some courage, some courage and, to, and, and basically some conviction that whatever you were buying was going to be able to sort of cross the chasm in terms of like liquidity and everything else. And that's really all that was required. Like you, you, you needed to just courage and, and confidence, and uh, you know whatever it was you were you were you were you were going to buy. Um, you know, you fast forward to today. You know, anything that you know was going to be able to cross the cap. Like, the, like the, the the enterprise values today are just significantly higher than they were even pre-COVID for a lot of things. So, um, but as you sort of go down the cap spectrum. There's still fertile ground for ideas and, and and there are different kinds of ideas. I mean, Stephen mentioned some event driven stuff. I'm involved in some event stuff too. Um, you know, sort of the reorg space has had a lot of interesting stuff going on. You know, I'm involved in one right now where they they're reorging in Canada, and you know it's, you know, I got to learn what a chapter 15 was in the Us, which is basically where they just respect the Canadian law right. Um, I'm involved in another one where there was uh, asbestos liabilities that were transferred and, you know, there was a bidding war process that broke out. Like, just really interesting stuff. There was the spin that I mentioned of the gold company. You know, I was like, i oh, sort of go down the list. It's like, there's just stuff happening and it's, um, it's all different. It's all idiosyncratic. Um, none of it is really tied to what happens in, you know, with, none of it is really at all tied to what the Fed says or what the stock market does as a whole. It's all just this idiosyncratic stuff that has its own sort of timeline and cat and, and series of catalysts that that sort of just I, I hope will will drive uh you know re-ratings and everything else that go that go with it. And you know, you look at something and like I don't have a position in Hertz, but like, you know, the 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 Robin Hood crowd that got a hold of that a year ago. I mean I look at it now it's it's above where it was with it when, when they were when they were involved and and I call it a miracle and you know it's just sort of like you know i took, I took my partner eric the other day you know, a week and a half ago and i was just like hey you know we should be looking at hurts here because there's competing there's competing plans being involved and like you know you blink and you miss it all of a sudden it's you know a lot higher and uh you know it's just stuff like that there's just lots of stuff to do i'm involved in a reorg now where um you know, they proposed a plan and they pulled the plan and you know there's baby bonds that trade and the baby bonds i think are going to get a better deal than those proposed in the original plan and so like you know there's all of this interesting stuff out there steven's nodding wrong; like maybe he's involved in some of the same things i don't know um i was not lucky enough to follow him into his uh nam properties so. i was just
1: looking at the price to that it's up to 23 and a half i got out at 14. i got Thanks. out because and, and you know i had options and things like that too and personally and i got out of it because they postponed the meeting and and uh they're they were involved in the um, in the green sale scandal and all that. They're going to lose money from that. It looks like, um, okay. and yet, here we go. We're up to 23 something. And um, yeah, we made some good money on it, but geez, we would have had a we'd have a hundred percent plus year so far in the fund. If I wouldn't have got out at 14 or it just shows how crazy the market is, you know, it's a 23 now.
2: <laughs> it's, it feels like things are just moving really fast at times. Right. It's, it's yeah. um, you know, it's sort of, Earnings season was a rough go for 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 me this quarter at least in terms of, some of the in certain terms of some of the larger liquid stuff it's just been you know it was like nobody could say anything that anybody liked um and you know and then you have the smaller stuff which is just completely idiosyncratic that way and um you know it's just uh it's been a, a straight it's been a strange call it like two months because you know we had the year-end results and then sort of q1 creeps up on you pretty fast and you kind of forget how fast q1 can creep up on you after the, after the, because the year end always takes longer to compile. So that time is compressed. And, uh, so I, I feel like I need a vacation.
1: Yeah. You know, you know, my, my issue here, I totally agree with you, Gary. And, and it's the challenge is things are moving so quickly that when something catches your eye, you've got to get on it now, uh, in terms of your research and deciding what you're going to do. And, you know, the market is crazy. It's crazy right now. I think crazier than usual because of the, um the volatility the retail crowd especially some of these smaller companies and the challenge that I'm having is opportunity costs you know some of these I've got a long watch list here with a lot of really interesting things and sometimes it gets away from you so fast and You know, it's like, okay, do we get in this company because we think it can do 15%, you know, per year of the next few years and then all of a sudden it doubles and you're like, okay, I'm out, you know, didn't get the chance to actually get into it. And, you know, we're looking at even in the event driven space is, you know, looking at things that are, okay, we think we can make a 15% return on this, but how soon and then this one we think we can make a 50%, but how soon and, you know, you're comparing about these really optimistic rosy projections and it's which one do you choose, you know, because which one is going to catch the eye? Which one has the better story? Which one is going to catch the eye of the retail crowd sooner? And yeah. that's a new challenge for me, at least. The buying whole get, stuff- got get your timeline different. right, right? Yep, you not only do you have to get the fundamentals right, but you have to judge the story and how it's going to resonate with the crowd, not only with how, how the fundamentals are and whether they'll keep up or not. Uh, and that's int- It's interesting, though. I mean, that's what makes yeah. the, it makes the market so interesting. It's something I haven't had to deal with in 20 years.
2: Yeah, a few years ago, I learned to ask myself, uh, like, a pretty like a, ser- a just a just a, a question before I got involved in anything. And it sort of helped me as I've gone, which is, you know, are things getting better? here. Or are they getting worse? Or are they staying the same? And can I tell? And I very much prefer only to be in Places where things are clearly getting better because that's how because that tends to be how people find it.
0: Yeah.
2: Um. You know, and that your time horizon thing is 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 very, um, it's it's uh, timely for me to be thinking about too because like you know I'm involved in one where you know, okay, you know there's cash and stuff. And there's cash and securities on the books that are roughly twice what the market cap is right now. And but it's like you know it's messy there's stuff going on it's like how long how long you you never quite get there with those types of things it's like what's my opportunity cost in sort of waiting and and both in time and brain damage just waiting around on this you know and and sort of you know you find yourself wondering you know okay can i go find something else where there's more of a natural progression of things where you know basically the catalyst is you know they came out of a process and the the numbers are going to get better in the future and they just have to post the numbers Mm -hmm. like you know, like that's, that's the best catalyst, right? Like, because they put the numbers out, people find it and you know, it's numbers, numbers improve stock goes up. It's kind of like physics numbers, numbers are worse stock and it's, 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 it's physics. So I, I've been sort of ruminating on that. Um, but there's been just no, no shortage of things to be poking around at and, and, and looking at. And um, you do find a lot of things that sort of got, have gotten sort of forgotten along the way. And you sort of, what's interesting is like the knowledge i don't know if you're finding this steve but the knowledge about these things is sort of like cumulative in nature so like you know i'm revisiting something that i looked at you know i, I was last involved in seven years ago and they had a couple of prefs that were out there that were not current and they brought a new guy in and he wound up taking care of him he did a good job and you know and now like there's only common and you know it's in the it's in the hospitality industry and You know, they need to recapitalize something, but like they previously tried to sell the company and then COVID happened. And it's like, wow, here's a, here's a hospitality play that hasn't recovered yet, but probably will recover. And they've already tried to sell the company. They already had an agreement to sell the company and then COVID happened. You know, they had a price. It's just like, this stuff is like, there's just so much more stuff to do than there is sort of time in the day. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree.
0: you guys, do you guys feel bad for some investors out there that just don't have that filter yet because it's, I mean, even, even just covering the news. I mean, sometimes when I'm putting the Brown tables together, just coming up with the topic, I'm like, there's so like, there's so much and yet. I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm at a loss of like, all right, well, what will be interesting? Like, I'm not an SEO expert. That's like seeing what's going to get clicks or anything, you know, like I, I'm just thinking like, you know, there's just so much, like, I know I could probably get more clicks if we just do, go on like a whole BTC, you know, Musk bash session here or or pump up session, you know, but at the end of the day, like, I, I, I don't know if that's the most, if there's going to be any original takes on any of that, you know? so. But, but, but my point being is that just being able to filter out, you know, just what, what, your, what, what should require more of your time or what should be taking. Well, that's a challenge.
1: Yeah. I mean, that is the challenge, right? Because we have fundamental views on particular companies and we think we can have some range of value for that company five for the next five years. Right. Discounted back to today and what we think the company is worth today. And that's only part of the that's part of the issue right now. So you know we we have to have that. That's the foundation. But then the second part is, well, how charismatic is the CEO? <laughs> how well are they telling the story? Uh, how is that story going to resonate with maybe less uh, sophisticated investors? Uh, should I buy potentially if I think that story is going to resonate? Should I buy out of the money? <laughs> call options for a little piece of the portfolio with the with the idea that this thing could skyrocket far beyond what it's actually worth then when do i sell when that happens <laughs> you know yeah. what's and then what's the opportunity you know, so i actually think there's i haven't really done this but i i think there's an opportunity to take 10 percent of your portfolio and put half a percent in 20 companies of out-of-the-money calls six months out or something like that or a year out that you think this story might resonate and just let it go. You know, and you can think about these recovery stories. And speaking of the one that Gary talked, you know, there's hospitality companies, uh, there's real estate, there's potential inflation plays. And you could come up with 20 companies that you think any one of one or more of them might catch the eye of a retail investor, might have a great story, and you know, buy put half a percent of your portfolio, not investment advice, um, in, in you know, <laughs> auto money call options. And one of those, one or two of those hit, it could go up a hundred times, you know, and, and that's the environment we live in right now. <laughs> it's crazy, but that's what it is.
2: Yeah. I gotta, I gotta, t- I gotta tell you, um, me, myself and a couple friends of ours. We've, we've, we've labeled it sort of, uh, with some of these companies getting chosen, like, like, uh, and we, we send around the meme from toy story where the clock comes down and pulls one of the aliens out. It just says I've been chosen. And it just rises. You know, like, that that's, that's the meme that we use to describe what's going on with some of these stocks. And it's weird, you know, like I'm talking to a bunch of really smart people and Great you know, is, is, is chosen one status. So, part of the investment thesis. And it's just weird to think that like, yeah, I guess it could be part of the thesis. Like, is this, you know, if this is something we own it's slow float and, you know the the some stock twist or the Reddit crowd has gotten a hold of it, and you know all of a sudden it's uh, you know it's mooning, you know, or and that what they say mooning. Uh, I, I don't know, um, and, and like that's like I don't know, like it's weird, but like you know if you if you put that in, like if you have a fundamental view on something and it comes with sort of this lottery ticket attached to it, like all the better, right? Yeah, and you
1: know some of these companies though actually were probably undervalued at the time before they started skyrocketing and mm-hmm. you know you think of gamestop and some smart investors owned it you know michael burry mm-hmm. and others um uh, you, you know some larger value shops as well before it went up and right. then when the chewy you know founder got involved too uh interesting thing you know like there there's potential for a transformation here the story was there it was Probably undervalued from a value perspective, you know, last uh, November or something like that, um, and then so okay, you know, why not buy some leaps, small percentage portfolio uh, at the time? Yeah, rockets though. Then here's the problem I had been with Nam you know, had all these views. When do you sell? <laughs> okay, like do you sell when it gets to fifty and it's overvalued at fifty? And then it goes to 100 and 200 and 400, (laughs) you know, so you leave a lot of money on the table here, especially the options, um, that it's just crazy. But also when you're this, this guy, uh, what's his name who, you know, chicken finger dude, um, you know, who got brought before Congress, like you're crazy. If you don't sell at $300, you're insane. You're set for life. You know, and it's the same situation with this doggy coin, doji coin, however it's pronounced um, guy that he took out a mortgage on his house. He took hundred grand in it. And now it's worth, you know, whatever it's, he said, all I want to do is to be able to provide for my family and things like that. Well, then it goes up to 65, 70 cents, you know, he's worth 10 million bucks and he doesn't sell. <laughs> Why not? You know, so this is where you get so screwed up. Uh, mentally, and this is this is screwing up kind of a whole new generation of investors here. That you say the reason I got in the market is because of this. The reason I bought this is because of this. This is your thesis, and then it comes true, and you don't sell, <laughs> and it's going to go all the way back down to zero, and you're going to lose everything. You know, all the way, uh, whatever. You know, you I mean, you had uh, for, for for GameStop to fundamentally be worth four hundred dollars again, fundamentally, it, it could never happen it could be a decade from now. You know, everything has to be perfect with this transformation for it to occur. For it to even be worth what it trades at right now, everything in execution turnaround has to be perfect. And
2: there's I mean, there's no law that says that stocks need to trade on fundamentals, right? I mean, like it's that's that's the hard part about this is, you know, what are bitcoin's fundamentals? What are gold's fundamentals? And what if you took the psychology of bitcoin or gold and applied it to the S&P 500? Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Like and that We could be seeing some version of that, you know, like it's, you know, why, why, just because they have earnings and cash flows, why wouldn't the same psychology, but that's behind, you know, something like gold or Bitcoin be applied to all of American business.
1: Well, that's what's happening, right? But that ends at some point, that ends. And this is the problem, right? For these investors who haven't been through that, who haven't read, you know, Ben Graham, Uh, you know, this is, this is the problem is uh, at some point it does end. Because we do have shocks to the system.
2: And I, mean, I I would say for individual stories, it might end, but for the market writ large, maybe it doesn't. I mean, like, has it ended for has it ended for gold? No, I think like, you're right. Individual story.
1: Well, it, you know, look, people forget crypto people. Gold was banned. You were not allowed to own gold by according to the federal government until the 1970s. From yeah. like 1920 on, right? So yeah. this can happen. This
2: can happen. You know, I actually I actually talked to somebody recently who was worried. Um, they were they were looking at like one uh, like these gold ETFs, and they were worried that the that the uh, first of all, uh, you know, in our firm we we have a small position in gold ETFs. So that's, but when I when I went to uh, BlackRock and I asked them for the audit report on if the gold was there, I was they told me the person I was dealing with said I, I was the only person that had ever asked for it. Uh, but recently I was talking to somebody who um, was worried that the audit report like. That they're gonna confiscate the gold they're gonna do all this stuff and I'm like the US government doesn't care about that anymore they, they cared about it at a time because there was a link to gold now there's no link to gold right there's no link to Bitcoin either like it, like I don't like if they haven't stopped it now like what why would they and you know like I, I just can't think of a good reason well the
1: community I mean, the question is this two things two things that I think could could burst this bubble right or whether it's a bubble or not uh, but first of all taxation right these things all of these new uh, IRS agents that are going to be hired by the new administration—what are they going to go after? <laughs> They're going to go after crypto gains because that's where the money is, first of all. And number two,
2: well, did, you, did you did you did you did you see the Peter Thiel interview where he sort of intimated that Palantir was assisting the IRS in finding it?
1: Wouldn't that be? Wouldn't that be? No, gonna the, 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 he's going to get back at uh, at Elon somehow. Um, yeah, right. No, absolutely. I believe that. But the second thing is this, when you're talking about institutional ownership from corporate, the corporate world, the 40 Act exists, right? And the 40 Act basically limits the type of investments that companies can make. No more than 40% of total assets can be in securities, okay? Securities are generally seen as like stocks and things like that. Now, Crypto, certain cryptos are considered in some in some areas security, and in, in other jurisdictions, not or not jurisdictions, but other other regula- regulatory authorities, it's not a security, and others it is. And all SEC has to do, this doesn't require congressional approval. All they have to do is say, put out, say, our guidance is that that crypto are securities. Now, corporations cannot own it. I mean, they can own it only up to a certain degree, though, only up to forty percent of their total assets, and which is going to turn away most, uh, most, most corporations from being able to own it. They could put that out any day. That would be crushing
2: to Bitcoin. Yeah, it's sort of weird. It's like it's like the Wild West in terms of like what it is. Like people don't. It, it doesn't have. It's sort of like a platypus, right? It's kind of it kind of have prop, properties of. Uh, being a security, it has properties of being a currency. It has properties of being a commodity. It's like I, I don't right, know. But, but when when I've when I've when I've observed decide, the actual just like trading, that, what's that?
1: The SEC can just put out a position paper and decide yeah. that.
2: Yeah, I guess my question, I mean, my question on that stuff is like, why haven't they yet? Well, good question.
0: Yeah. yeah. No. Not going to get an answer here. <laughs> no,
2: I'm, not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just, I'm just Yeah, no, it, no,
0: I mean, it, for look, we, we talked about Bitcoin. I knew it was inevitable. We are definitely, Bobby, we talked about
1: crypto as a whole, not just Bitcoin. This is true. This is true. Yeah.
0: I didn't say no crypto. I said, all right, let's try to, but, uh, you know, we, it, we, uh, it, I mean the the volatility that we've seen. I mean in the last. Well,
1: weeks. we could talk about SPACs too. Right. We're almost done here. I know, but you yeah, know, when you think about it, it's been a few weeks since we've gotten together and had these discussions, and so what's happened, right, in the last month or so, and you know, the SPAC market has been decimated. Um, you know, there's opportunities there also, there's arbitrage opportunities there. You um, stories, some of these story stocks have continued to, to rise, we've had crypto, we've got Elon, we've got other things like that, inflation has occurred. Um, so when we get back to the weekly schedule here, we can maybe we can dedicate an entire, you
0: know, show on inflation, um, and whether it's transitory or not. But these
1: are the things that are the headlines.
0: Yeah, no, we'll definitely do. I think we should definitely do another episode on inflation because we did one or no, well, we did one for Gary for, for the, lumber
2: mo- bros on, the guys that own their sawmills and they, uh, they're, they're patting know, each other on
0: the back so hard all the time on Twitter. It's, uh, I know we gotta get along. We gotta get a lumber bros episode gone. I mean, that is just lumber hilarious. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a bit it's a thing. Look, you know, it's a big thing on Twitter right now. I mean, there is, uh, Look, there, are certain,
1: there are certain levels of insufferability <laughs> for types of investors. Back in the day, like these gold bugs, and I, you know, I'm I'm playing around here, so no no actual disrespect to these people, but yes, no, like yes. gold bugs used to be so insufferable, you know, and then it turned into crypto bros so insufferable, you know, and and even the real estate guys in the oh five oh six oh seven those those who kind of newly got into real estate, and you know today there's so there's so many sectors of insufferability. The market. look value investors are insufferable in many ways you know these really really uh dedicated ben graham style people um and so you know we could go show to show about highlighting insufferable people which include the inflation people and others and, I and love we, have, we have that of course ourselves too um but uh
0: I, I, steven I, I i personally and i know you love it too but i, I love it I, I love characters i love uh I love, fanat- I love fanaticism i find it absolutely fascinating yeah, absolutely. people taking like that that heavy dedication to just one thing but you're right we are kind of we are kind round of rounding the bend here so let's get uh your final take before we uh before we head out so uh Steven, you want to do your your quick final take and where people can go and find yeah you can you I can I find us care.
1: at arquitos.com a-r-t-u-i-t-o-s um i my final take would say would be Uh, find, find the story, (laughs) find the story, get out of the companies that the management cannot tell the story. And I'm a victim here because I have a couple holdings like this (laughs) and look for companies that are both reasonably valued and also that can effectively tell their story.
2: That's the market we're in right now. That's that's a, there we go. All right, Gary. Yeah, I, I mean, I have a podcast on your network with my partner, Eric, in the market trenches. So you can listen to that when we have those. And uh, if anybody's listening that would like to come on, that would be good to get some guests. Um, and I guess my final thought on that is like, you know, it's harder today, but there's, a, and it's sort of like coming through a fire hose. And so I've been just trying to spend my time trying to better organize myself and 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 the flow of information and the flow of stuff. And, um, you know, um you know, there's there's always and there's always just there's always something to do. So, um, you know, it's, I think these these things, these the various bros that are out there and the and the and the things that people are focused on. You know, crypto, NFTs. So we didn't even talk about NFTs. Um, what's up with that? Um, I know. I, what is up with that? I dropped the ball again. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm actually involved in in a in a stack right now that's doing an NFT play. So we we didn't even touch on that. Um, you know, that's, that's like, uh, that's like meme investing nirvana. I mean, but, uh, you know, it's what,
0: what's up with that?
2: <laughs>
0: you forget to bring this up, Gary. No, i just not I mean, we'll, uh, we'll, say, we'll,
2: say, that, we'll say We'll say We'll say We'll That one. We'll say
0: that one. That'll yeah, be a good one. I've got clandestine
2: meetings at golf <laughs> courses. I've got, you know, like you, you, I got some stories that I probably can't tell, but, um, but there's always something to do. So <laughs> oh, that's a
0: good, that's a great way to end it. All right. Gary, Steven, as always, uh, you know, it's been way too long. Love catching up today. We're going to be doing a, you know, we're going back to our, our, our weekly uh, programming uh, again now. So this is the first week. So everybody, uh, if you're enjoying the investors round table, you can watch each video version on the, on the SNN network, YouTube channel, and then you can listen to the audio version on uh, the Planet Microcap podcast stream. So uh, again, I'm your host, Robert Kraft and uh, thank you all for tuning in. So uh, guys, till next time. Love you guys.